Good morning, Bucknutters. Welcome to the Bucknuts Morning 5 here on Monday, November 9th, 2020. I am Dave Biddle. I am very happy to be joined by Patrick Murphy. A lot to get into today, Patrick. Let's start with a look back on Ohio State's win over Rutgers, 49-27. to But the Buckeyes were leading 35-3 to at halftime. It just looked like they were just going to toy with the Scarlet Knights throughout the game. But, you know, Rutgers outplayed them in the second half. You know, you were there covering the game. You listened to Ryan Day's press conference afterwards. What do you think happened in the second half? What was Coach Day's explanation? Well, I don't know if there was one explanation given. Um, I think there were a couple of things, including from what Greg Schiano said as well, from the other perspective. You know, I think Ohio State got up 35 to 3. Um, you know, it was it was a comfortable first half. Things were going their way, you know exactly how you would expect these Rutgers games going back to 2014 to go. And I think it was somewhat a combination of Ohio state thinking, all right, we're going to cruise in the second half. We're going to throw some backups in, especially on defense. We saw them rotate in a lot of the second team offense on one of the series. Uh, And, you know, I think that mentality for one reason or another um, allowed Rutgers to get back in it while Rutgers also just didn't give up. You know, Greg Schiano clearly had these guys, uh, you know, thinking upset, even down 35 to zero or 35 to three. I'm sorry. They, you know, were still of the uh, opinion that, that they could do some things and they were going to try some different things. You obviously saw the, the trick plays and the laterals on the, the punt and the kickoff, the onside kick looks um, went for two a bunch of times. So Greg Schiano, I think the the mentality coming into the game of being aggressive carried on with his team, even though they were down big. And, you know, we both covered Greg Schiano. He, he can be a pretty fiery guy. And I imagine he got after his team a little bit in the locker room and Ohio state probably needed to, to jump on their guys a little bit more. Um, you know, I think some of the backups too need to play better when they're in the game. Uh, Tyreek Johnson, not to just single a guy out, but I think everyone, you know, saw him struggle in coverage. Uh, you know, this is a former five-star kid who's going to have to play with Cameron Brown now out at cornerback. And it did not go well. Um, you know, I think the best thing to come out of this, and Steve Hellwagon and I discussed after the game a little bit on our uh, Facebook Live call, was that you know you you beat Nebraska convincingly in Week One, and you know there were certain little things you could nitpick at, but you won convincingly at home. It was a season opener; everyone leaves feeling good. You beat Penn State on the road, still a top twenty team, and and we could talk about what Penn State really is now, but that's a top twenty win at the time. And even if there's little things there to point to, you know, guys know they just won on the road against Penn State. And that's something that that's an accomplishment. Now you struggle against Rutgers in the second half. Those are things you can look at on the film and be like, look, if this is another team, we're in trouble here. Um, you know, point to whatever, you know, offense, defense, whatever. And I think maybe that's the, the optimistic, you know, positive from this game is, is now there's film of, hey, you've got to play your best. You, you know, this is, we've talked about it before. This is an eight week season that, it doesn't have a lot of room for error. And, you know, some teams may be able to take advantage of that, especially if you don't get up 35 to three in the first half. So um, I think to answer your question, there are a combination of things, but I do think this is something Ohio state can now use to make sure these guys are focused throughout, um, you know, some of the guys that maybe didn't play as much early on, let them know, Hey, you've got to bring it as, as good as the starters did. And some of the starters that, that kind of let down that, that can't happen this year. Now, this might be an optimistic perspective, but I really feel like the first half was more indicative of this Ohio State team than the second half. I just I think that's human nature. It's, is it an excuse? Yes. But sometimes excuses can be accurate. You know, I really feel like the first half 
um, is more indicative of this Ohio State team than what we saw in the second half. I just believe that. Um, and I don't want to be all negative on today's show. We're going to get into some maybe some guys that aren't playing that well. But one guy who is certainly playing out of this world is Justin Fields. We all expected him to be fantastic this year. To me, he's even better than I expected, which is crazy. I mean, he has more touchdowns, 14, than incompletions, 11 this season after three games. Again, 14 touchdowns, passing and rushing combined, 11 incompletions. That is an an absolutely insane stat. To me, he's the Heisman front runner. It's very early, um, but I just absolutely love what I'm seeing out of Justin Fields. Yeah, and real quick to go back to to you know negatives, not negatives. I think if you look at pretty much all of the top teams in the country right now, you can pick holes in at least one of their performances. You know, Clemson obviously losing last week, but but struggling against Boston College. Alabama's had some games where the defense has been questionable at times. Um, you know, Florida hasn't looked great every you know. So I think if if you know, there's a reason some teams have struggled at points this season and, and ultimately staying undefeated and, you know, getting wins is, is what matters right now. So certainly things to clean up, but I just wanted to add that on there that, you know, this isn't just an Ohio state problem, but going to Justin Fields, I mean, what more can you say about this guy? Uh, Mike Bassford, the assistant SID for the football team just put out uh, right before we started recording that Fields now has enough completions to qualify in Ohio state in the big tens career passing efficiency list. He's number one uh, on both 182 point or 189.2, uh, 15 points higher than the next highest player. He's, I believe, 17 games in now, uh, over 50 touchdown passes. And, you know, another almost career high performance passing the ball. Uh, I believe his career high is 320 passing yards against Clemson last year. He almost got that against Penn State. He almost got it again on uh, Saturday night, 314 for him, and then five touchdowns. Obviously, Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson are, are making things easier on him, but some of these passes he's throwing, the two touchdowns specifically to Chris Olave in this last game, the one where he's rolling to his right, throws in the corner of the end zone. Uh, if you haven't watched that play, again, go back, because he puts it where Chris Olave needs to needs it to be to catch the ball. Olave even said after the game, you know, he didn't even think he was open on that play, and Fields is able to buy time, and you know, there's two defenders there. The second touchdown, just another great you know, touch on the ball to find Olave in the front corner of the end zone. Um, you know, we, we could go through every single one of his touchdowns or every single one of his passes and discuss it. Um, but he's doing some very special things. I was talking to somebody yesterday about you know where he ranks in terms of Ohio State quarterbacks, and I think that's a that's a big debate. But Dwayne Haskins has uh, you know had a cannon and had had pretty good accuracy. You know, Justin Fields has a good arm and, and is obviously very accurate. He can also do the stuff with his legs, like I mentioned, by time. You know, this combination of, of everything, it reminds me, you know, this is not a fair comparison because Justin Fields is still in school, but it reminds me a lot of what Russell Wilson does in the NFL for the Seahawks and the way he can, he can make sure guys have time to get open. If the offensive line breaks down, he can still make plays. Um, you know, he's, th- this, kid's, this kid's really talented. And with Trevor Lawrence on the sideline the last two weeks, I think you're right. Justin Fields has climbed into – the driver's seat for the Heisman Trophy. I know Mac Jones got his name in the conversation, the Alabama quarterback, with with their win um, a couple weeks ago, but he didn't play this past week. Justin Fields has been on prime time in back-to-back weeks, even though one of those was the Big Ten Network against Rutgers. But what he's doing is great um, from an Ohio State perspective. It is unfortunate that there's only an eight-game season, nine-game season. He won't be able to put up what numbers he might have done if, if they play 15 games or whatnot. 
But, uh, you know, I think these numbers are still going to be rather ridiculous when we look back on them after this season, uh, assuming everyone stays healthy and, and this offense continues to cook. Yeah, I don't think there's going to be much of a debate that he will go down as the best quarterback in Ohio State history. And the NFL draft, I think, will validate that for anybody who might think, well, what about Troy Smith, who I've said is the best that I've seen? Um, and, and Troy was a fifth-round pick. Um, you know, there's a lot of reasons for that. And, we, and he didn't do well in the NFL. Um, but at Ohio State, we're just looking at their Ohio State's career. Right now, Troy Smith is, um, I think, has had the best overall career. But there's been so many guys. Um, I mean – you know, I know JT Barrett is a very polarizing figure, but you have to put him in the conversation. Obviously, Rex Kern, Arch Sleester, there's been so many. Bobby Hoyne got things going. Joe Germain, um, obviously Dwayne Haskins, Terrell Pryor, Braxton Miller, on and on and on and on. But I do think that Justin Fields will go down as the best. He can do a little bit of everything. He does it well. And he's going to be, at, at worst, I think, the number two overall pick of the draft. And, you know, Dwayne Haskins was the 15th overall pick. Schleister was the number four pick back in 1982 by the Baltimore Colts. I mean, the Big Ten before Haskins didn't even have a quarterback taken in the first round since Kerry Collins in 1996. Yeah. So Justin Fields, to me, what, what he's doing at Ohio State and then what he's going to do in the NFL draft and, in my opinion, what he's going to do in the NFL, I think for years we're going to be talking about Justin Fields as the gold standard of Ohio State quarterbacks. And thank goodness we're getting a second year to watch him play. That would have been unfortunate if it, he was basically one and done at Ohio State. All right, after we uh, just showered Justin Fields with praise there, let's uh, turn the page here. What in the world is going on with Zach Harrison? I I've heard rumors about this and that. Maybe he came in a little overweight. Maybe he isn't practicing hard. But, you know, the last thing that I expected, would be he would be the fifth defensive end in the game. You got the two starters, the first two backups come in, and then, you know, Zach is playing. They're playing five defensive ends like Larry Johnson said they would, but he's usually the last one in the game and getting the least amount of snaps. And frankly, not very effective when he's in there. Now, maybe he's one of these guys where he needs to play more to be effective, but it's early. I expected big things out of Zach Harrison this year. I think most people listening to this program did. I'm sure you did as well. What do you think is going on with Zach Harrison? Are you hearing anything? I'm not, uh, just to be upfront about that. And I think the, the speculation is yeah, we could talk about that and whatnot. I think just looking at it on the field, what he's done, um, Yes, I think it's been disappointing. Um, he did come into the Penn State game earlier than he did against either Nebraska or Rutgers um, and, and played a decent amount in that game, but it's still not what anyone expected. I think most people anticipated he would be, you know, start to step into those shoes of, of the next great Nick Bosa, Joey Bosa, Chase Young, that, that path. Um, and it hasn't happened so far, uh, you know, for, for one reason or another. But I think we have to remember everybody um, kind of progresses differently. You know, Chase wasn't supposed to have been as prominent in the defense as he was as a sophomore, but Nick Bosa gets hurt um, and, and whatnot. So, you know, situations happen differently. Now, whether he's being held out because of any sort of discipline or, or to kind of get his head on straight, I, I don't know. And I don't want to speculate, um, but his play on the field has not been as dominant as, as anyone I think expected um, given not only what he was as a high school player, but what we saw from him last year, you know, he, he even admitted that his, his freshman season was more than he expected in terms of his, his output numbers were on par with what you saw from chase as a freshman. They're close. Um, so yeah, I expected him to, to step up um, and, and be a bigger part of this defensive end rotation, or at least, you know, uh, higher up the pecking order as it seems right now. And I think that's something that, that we should definitely 
you know, see if there's anything on the record we can get on that. But uh, I, I think this defensive line has been uh, up and down just in general. I mean, one sack against Rutgers and, you know, credit Rutgers offensive line. I think they played better than anyone expected, but that's not good enough. And, you know, Greg Schiano said after the game that that, that was a, a, a huge number in terms of how low it was for them. Um, you know, it just, it just isn't good enough for I State. You've got to get uh, more, more pass rush or better pass rush. I'm sorry. And, and, and I think teams are realizing they've got to get rid of the ball quicker against Ohio state, but yeah. that's not anything new. I mean, we've seen that against teams in the past and, and you've still found ways to get there and, and at least get pressure if you're not getting to the quarterback. So one of the reasons I think that it's not been as good is because Zach Harrison isn't playing as much and, and isn't performing at the level we expected. And I think that needs to change, frankly. Buckeyes travel to Maryland this Saturday, 3.30 kick, first 3.30 kick of the season. Buckeyes favored by 21, or excuse me, by 25 and a half points over the Terrapins. Now, I find the Talia Tungavailoa situation very interesting. Maryland quarterback Talia Tungavailoa, obviously younger brother of Tua, did not get much fanfare when he transferred from Alabama to Maryland. And here's my theory as to why. Everybody, myself included, I shouldn't say everybody, a lot of people, myself included, saw it. Oh, he was just at Alabama because he was Tua's younger brother. He wasn't some highly touted recruit like Tua was. Alabama was just letting him on the team because Tua was there. Now he's going to Maryland. He's probably not going to do much there. Well, I tell you what, he didn't look good against Northwestern. In fact, he had three interceptions and played bad in, in his first start. I've watched him the last two weeks. This kid is really good. He's only a sophomore. He's a little smaller than his brother. He's about an inch shorter, not quite as thick as Tua, but and he's right-handed. But, man, he can play. He can throw. He can run, and now he's got his confidence down. Just your thoughts on facing Talia Tungavailoa and the Terrapins this Saturday. This is going to be a challenge for Ohio State. As you mentioned, these last two games, he has started to look the, the part, um, live up to the name of his brother. Obviously, as you, the, as you said, the, the tra- transferring in doesn't have the normal offseason to kind of get into the rhythm of this Maryland offense. Not that he shouldn't know it, given Mike Loxley and the, the connection with him at Alabama, but um, – yeah, I think this, this is going to be very interesting. You know, we've seen the the mobile quarterback have success against Ohio State. Uh, Tagovailoa can certainly run, um, so he can make life difficult for them there. And then, you know, completing better than 67% of his passes, especially after that first game, um, six touchdowns, the four interceptions, 770 yards. He's got an arm. He's, he's accurate. Uh, you know, I think that you know, we've seen – some talented quarterbacks that Ohio state defense has faced Sean Clifford, um, obviously Adrian Martinez and, and Luke McCaffrey in terms of rushers last week, Rutgers threw three different guys at, uh, at Ohio state, but uh, this may be the most talented, you know, just in terms of one guy, I thought that was going to be Sean Clifford, but he, he really didn't do much against Ohio state. So I think this is going to be interesting. And, and obviously going to Maryland, um, you know, a couple of years ago, Ohio state going to overtime there, it's a, uh, it's a team that, that tends to get fired up for Ohio state playing them, um, especially at home. Now the crowd and everything will make things different. So I think this is going to be a bit of a test for Ohio state and especially this defense coming off of, of what you saw last week. Um, you know, how did they respond? And, and fortunately you have a challenge to kind of show them and, and put forth to them to be like, you know, Hey, we, you guys have to wake up. This, this has to happen now, or else, you know, you could risk a, a situation where you're not just disappointed with a big win, but, you know, staring down the barrel of a loss or something like that. So uh, yeah, I, I'll be very interested to see how they handle the, uh, the younger tag of Iloa in this game. 
Last thing, I just want to get your reaction on Notre Dame beating Clemson. You mentioned it earlier, uh, double overtime. I was very surprised. You know, I know Trevor Lawrence didn't play, but I still thought Clemson was going to get it done. Credit to Notre Dame. I mean, I, I had a chance to, you know, at least watch the end of the game. It was unfortunately going on at the same time as the Ohio State game, but uh, and Notre Dame was a lot more physical than I expected, and they just played better than I expected. Um, you know, I think, and I don't know. I mean, obviously, you want Trevor Lawrence out there, but my, if there's a better backup quarterback in the country than DJ, I, I would love to see them. I mean, it's not like that's like. It sounds crazy to say it because Trevor Lawrence, he's not the best quarterback in the country. He's the second best behind Justin Fields. It's like, you know, those guys will be, there'll be a debate all the way up to the NFL draft who's better. Um, so it kind of sounds crazy, but that's not that huge of a drop off going from uh, Trevor Lawrence to DJ. I mean, DJ looked really good. Clemson's defense was pretty leaky. I was surprised though, man. I was really surprised. Just your thoughts on Notre Dame upsetting Clemson. First, I want to hear you say this kid's last name, DJ. I just go with DJ. Just like it took me, it took me three years to feel comfortable saying Tunga Vailoa. I'm just not there yet with DJ. I, I liked how they call him. Uh, what's what's his nickname? It's uh, was it um, Big Cinco? Is that it? Yeah, Big Cinco. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you have to when when you have a name like that, you have to have a nickname that that people like ourselves can use. But uh, yeah, I I was impressed with Notre Dame for sure, and we had this game on on a on a secondary computer in the press box, so keeping an eye on it. Um, you know, Notre Dame has has been very up and down uh, this season. So I, like you, thought even Clemson without Trevor Lawrence, without a few guys defensively as well, um, would f- come in and, and figure out a way to, to handle Notre Dame. I just wasn't buying into the the Notre Dame hype. Um, but a lot of fight in that team, you know, the, to go down late and still drive to tie the game um, and then obviously get it done in overtime was impressive. Uh, you know, I think – they showed a lot. Um, now, you know, what does that mean going forward? Uh, you know, I, in terms of the ACC and college football playoff, I don't know, but I think, uh, I think that, that, that was an impressive performance from, from a team that went on the big stage in recent years, hasn't performed at, at the high level. And, you know, regardless of whether Clemson is, is missing some, some pieces, you beat the number one team in the country. Uh, you deserve some credit for that. And, and I think that, they they deserve that this week and and now you got to build on that if you're Notre Dame. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, if, if even if Notre Dame, let's say they have a rematch and Notre Dame loses in the ACC championship game, but Notre Dame runs the table up until then, Notre Dame is going to be in the playoff, and so will Clemson probably. Those are probably going to be the four teams. Everybody's wondering who's going to be the fourth team. If Chalk holds up, I think Alabama is going to win the SEC. I don't see Florida's the second best team, and they've already lost at Texas A and M. I don't think Florida's going to. They could give Alabama a game, don't get me wrong, but I think Alabama is a pretty sure bet to win the SEC. I think Ohio State's a runaway favorite in the Big Ten. And I think we could see two ACC teams if it plays out that way. If Notre Dame's able to take care of business from here and they lose in the ACC championship game, do you think if it play and Clemson wins out from here, you think both those teams would get in? Because I do. Yeah, I think that's likely. I think the only thing that could change that is depending on the committee's opinion say Oregon goes seven and zero and wins the PAC 12 rather comfortably. Um, is that a team that undefeated? Have they played enough games? Do we have, you know, and it'll depend what it looks like each week. Um, and I think Oregon, obviously, you know, or, or any team from the PAC 12, Oregon just seems to be the favorite. Um, but uh, yeah, I think that's the one kind of question is what do you do with the PAC 12, you know, playing even fewer games than the big 10, coming in so late in the process, that type of thing. 
um, you know, wh- where do they kind of factor in? But I think the most likely scenario, if it plays out the way you described, is yes, both ACC teams get in. Um, weird to refer to Notre Dame as an ACC team, by the way, you know, just attaching them to a conference is, is strange to me, but yeah, that, that seems to be the most likely scenario if it all plays out that way, but keep an eye on Oregon. Uh, I think that's a, that's a good team. Um, I recorded their game. I haven't watched it yet, but I know they got the win. Um, I'll be interested to see how, how this all shakes out, you know, and, and let's be fair. I think in, in most years, things tend to work themselves anyway, uh, work themselves out anyway. and, And this one might too. Like I said, Notre Dame has been very up and down. It wouldn't surprise me if they have a, a disappointing performance at some point throughout the season. And, and who knows what happens with, with the COVID stuff and everything for other teams too. So, um, you know, it's, 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 it's fun uh, that, that we're, you know, finally getting to kind of the meat of the schedule and, and being able to, you know, talk about why Ohio State's not living up to standards and, you know, things like that, as opposed to if they were going to play. I'm just, I'm just happy that, that we're finally getting to that point where, where we really have football to break down and, and whatnot. And we can dissect whether Notre Dame's real or not. Yeah. I love that. We're talking hardcore football topics and not, as you said, are we going to have football and this and that yeah. with the virus and just talking football just feels great. Uh, great stuff from Patrick Murphy here on the Bucknuts morning 20 and change. Um, appreciate it, Patrick. And I appreciate all the listeners for tuning in. Thank you very much. Have a great day. Bucknutters. Every sport has their big, juicy controversy. Boxing has the Mike Tyson ear bite. Cycling has Lance Armstrong. Baseball has its steroid era. Curling has... Broomgate. It's a story of broken relationships, houses divided, corporate rivalry, and a performance-enhancing broom. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate. Available now.